Well, people of God in Christ, there is one more teaching in Romans 5, 1 through 11, that I think we should look at. And I think uh, it will be mostly review. Uh, but it's the reference that Paul makes, and, and not just a reference to, but even his teaching about the Holy Spirit in verse 5. That's part of the challenge when it comes to, uh, to what Scripture teaches about the Holy Spirit, that perhaps we take it as a, a reference to, so that uh, we, we know there is a Holy Spirit, but what does the Spirit do? Uh, and, and even more to the point, how does the Holy Spirit relate to Christ and his saving work for us? The other matter for introduction is to point out that Paul's reference to the Holy Spirit in verse 5 can, can be heard in the same wrong way that we might hear Paul's reference to the love of God. This was last time, right? Uh, I missed Valentine's Day by uh, a week or so. Uh, but what is love? Uh, yes, love is an emotion. Love is a, is a feeling, but it is more than that. Uh, a red heart cannot possibly uh, symbolize what love really is because God is love says the Apostle John. Um, and, and John, in 1 John 4, even teaches that in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And we really do need to force ourselves to, to stop and, and to think and to absorb that God is love. God defines love within his very character. But his love is not shown to us except as his wrath is turned away from us, except as Christ steps into our place as sinners and takes upon himself the wrath and judgment that was do to us for our sin. This is, this is the love of God, says the Apostle John, says the word of God. I guess another way to put it is to say that, that love always has substance. Love is a, a feeling. It would be foolish to deny that love is a wonderful feeling. But at its essence, love is a verb. Uh, and, and it's been said here before, love is what you do, whether you feel love or not. And love actually becomes more profound when it's what you do, even when you don't feel it. We would be hard pressed to argue that God was just so terribly in love with his sinful people that he just had to send his son Christ to be the propitiation for their sins. No, going to, to Romans 5, God acted in love by sending Christ, and he did so while we were still weak. When Christ died for his people, he died for the ungodly. So Paul puts it this way, that, that 
God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that's review from last time when we heard Paul's teaching to clarify what love is. But in the midst of teaching us what love truly is, he makes a somewhat passing reference to the Holy Spirit. And by the way, just as Romans 5 verse 5 brings the very first reference to love, so this same verse brings the very first reference to the Holy Spirit of God. It is, uh, or, or is it just a passing reference? We would say no, shouldn't just hear it and let it go by. We need to ask, what does Paul mean by this? What does he mean uh, to say at this point in his teaching? So, so looking mostly at verse 5, uh, let this be the first point, the active love of God. And here's how God's love and the Holy Spirit are connected. That is how they should, how they should be connected in our understanding. God's love is active, as we've said. With God, love is a verb. Love is what he does as he acts, as he works, as he saves his people from their sins. But the acting of God, his work for our salvation, is here now connected to the Holy Spirit. God's love, writes Paul, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, one way, uh, uh, one wrong way to understand this would be to uh, make it all a metaphor. And the end result would be to think that uh, Paul is, is talking about how God feels love or, or maybe the, the love that we are given to feel for God and, and for each other, after all, isn't isn't the language of, uh, or isn't this the language of the modern love song? I'm, my heart is filled with love for you. I, I I love you. I can't smile without you. Credits to Barry Manilow if some of you remember that song. Um, well, that's not completely wrong, because the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Granted, the Spirit produces love in us. But even then, it's not just the feeling, but the action of love. So what we need to see from the beginning of Scripture, in fact, is that not only is the love of God active, but the Spirit of God is active too. From the beginning, in Genesis 1, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The image there is clearly one of God poised and ready to go to work. The working person gets up in the morning, gets dressed, eats breakfast, packs a lunch, loads a toolbox or a, or a briefcase, and then stands at the door Ready, ready to go to work. This, this is the anthropomorphic picture of God in Genesis 1, verse 2. It's why we talk about the work of creation, and specifically God's work in creation. 
So from the beginning, literally, Genesis 1, the spirit of God is connected with the work of God. We need that connection. Even more, the spirit of God is connected to the word of God. The spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And all the way through the creation story, we hear the commands of God, the decrees of God as king, that creation should exist. And it was so. And for our purposes here, we need the connection between the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and the active love of God. But beyond creation, we we see it or, or rather hear it over and over again, that the spirit of God is at work, that God is working by his spirit to do the things that he does in this world, including and especially the work by which he blesses his people. So just as we must not separate the love of God from what God does, so we must not separate the spirit of God from what God does for his people. Now, in Romans 5, verse 5, this is not Paul's main point. Perhaps if he uh, had the use of uh, the convention of footnoting, he might have added a footnote here saying, uh, see Genesis 1, verse 2, or please see my teaching elsewhere on the Holy Spirit. But as we read it now, insisting that Scripture interprets Scripture, the point is, is not that God himself just oozes with love, neither that God made us to ooze forth with love, but then why does Paul use the word poor? The second point is the pouring of the spirit. On one hand, Paul writes that it's the love of God that has been poured into our hearts. But it's the love of God poured through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And this fits with what we hear in Acts chapter 2. As the Holy Spirit comes on the, the day of Pentecost. As the Holy Spirit is poured out. At Pentecost, the result is not that the apostles roll around on the ground. Instead, they open their mouths and they preach the word of God. Lo and behold, another connection. Another connection between the spirit of God and the word of God. And Peter explains what was happening with uh, and uses the words of a prophecy, prophecy recorded in Joel chapter 2, where it says, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour, there's our word, pour, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. But here we need to make the connection again to Genesis 1 and to the creation of the world. Creation itself in the beginning was a pouring out of the spirit of God. So it's not wrong to see in, in our mind's eye the image of a pitcher. 
not a baseball pitcher, but a pitcher holding water or something else, a pitcher of water being poured out. Because what does that image convey? It, it, it conveys abundance and, and it, it portrays provision and supply of what is needed. Think about how when you have breakfast at a restaurant, the waitress just brings the pitcher of coffee and sets it on your table. Here, help yourself. She basically says, not that she isn't willing to you know, come by and pour it for you, but, but you shouldn't have to wait for it. Here it is. Here it is in all its abundance. Well, that might sound like a rather trite illustration that says too little, but, but it's the image that God uses. And, and, and he uses it over and over again. Granted, in Psalm 23, which you all know, it's the image of the cup that overflows. But everyone understands by way of the image of a cup that overflows, that there is a pitcher pouring forth the supply of water or wine that is making the cup to overflow. So the image of pouring first conveys the the profusion of God's blessing in salvation. In Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul switches to the word lavish. In our own culture, the the word lavish usually refers to to vacation housing, uh, a lavish hotel prepared for the comfort and the enjoyments of anyone who can actually afford to stay there, right? And it's the same idea in, in Ephesians 1, verse 7 and 8, when Paul writes, in him, that is in Christ, we have, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. But pouring, pouring is also connected throughout scripture with with blessing and and also with anointing. In the Old Testament, it was most often kings who were anointed with oil. Uh, On one hand, who would want that, right? Who would want to have oil poured on their heads? Then they have to go home and change their clothes and spend the time that it takes to get the oil out of their garments. But as the prophets anointed the kings, the point was was to put on display the choice of God. And again, the provision of God for his people. Think of Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Psalm 133 gives the picture of pouring, picture of lavishness, but most important, the picture of God doing something. The spirit of God is present and is at work, even as God himself is at work. So we come to this last point, the 
the life of hope. And that's the point that, that Paul is making here because Romans 5 verse 5 in its entirety reads, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul is here pressing the point of hope. And on one hand, hope comes from outside of us. Hope must be given to us. Hope must be poured into us. And hope is lavished upon us in Christ. But hope must also be claimed. Eastern religions would would have you sitting on a mountaintop humming to yourself and waiting for something to happen. But the Christian faith is not much better if all we do is sit around waiting for the blessing of God to come. It has come. Paul's point is that the blessing of God has come. And uh, by by the love of God in the cross, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Grace has been lavished upon us. So brothers and sisters, let us claim it. Let us say, I believe it. My sins, though they be many and great, are forgiven. The righteousness of Christ is, 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 is to my own credit. I've been redeemed. I've been justified. I've been reconciled to God. It has been done. And it will not be taken away from me. Is this your faith? It needs to be. You need to claim the hope that yes has come from outside of us. We need to claim it for ourselves. But if we will claim such hope, then such hope will grow within us. Such hope will last within us as we meditate upon what the Spirit has done. Uh, Is it God the Father who saved us? Yes, by sending his Son. So is it the Son who has saved us? Yes, by sending us the Holy Spirit. So think with me about the role of the Holy Spirit uh, in the in the life and ministry of Jesus our Lord. Mary asked the angel, How will this be? How can I how can I conceive a child when I'm I'm a virgin? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, said the angel. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. At the baptism of Jesus, as he ceremonially Repented on behalf of the people. The Holy Spirit descended upon him. Anointing him. To show that he was sent by the Father. And throughout his ministry. Jesus even attributed his miracles. To the power of the Spirit. He wasn't denying his own divinity. But he was very willing to attribute. His miracles to the power of the spirit. And in the end, Jesus breathed on his disciples that, that incredibly weird moment when Jesus, the resurrected Christ breathed on his disciples and said to them, receive the Holy spirit. And acts one, as we've noted records a great day in history. When the spirit was poured out at Pentecost 
but let us not miss the connection. Jesus said, if I do not go away, the spirit will not come to you. And his point was not that, well, we we can't both be here at the same time, so I need to leave and then the spirit can come. No, Jesus would go away by the cross. And the cross would lead to his resurrection, and his resurrection would lead to his ascension. And from his ascended place at the right hand of the Father, Christ would send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would work, would work within God's people to give them the new birth, to produce within them new life. Once again, we need to go back to the creation story. We need to hear and remember that in the beginning, God breathed life into the lifeless body of Adam. This was the work of the spirit in the beginning to give life to mankind. And so it is in the new creation. So it is in our salvation through Christ. Jesus was born, but what difference does that make? Jesus lived a perfect life, but what difference did that make? Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, but what does it matter? doesn't matter unless he rose again. And even the resurrection really doesn't matter. What difference does it make that a man named Jesus rose again from the dead unless he also ascended to heaven and ascended to heaven in order to send? the Holy Spirit. Perhaps it sounds wrong uh, to say that anything Christ did doesn't matter. But this is the teaching of God's own word. That he was born, that he might live, that he lived, that he might die, that he died, that he might rise again, that that he rose again, that he might ascend to heaven, and that he ascended to heaven, that he might send his spirit that he might send the Holy Spirit as the end result, even the whole purpose from the beginning. Just as God breathed into Adam the breath of life in the beginning, so God did it again through Christ. He breathed into us the new life of Christ. And if we don't understand this, then we, we will be left, I think, to, uh, to think that the spirit means rolling around on the floor or speaking in strange tongues or, or even physical healing. It is true that Jesus did miracles by the spirit, but the spirit is, is more than strange occurrences. The spirit is more than surviving cancer or any other illness. Spirit means new life, even unto eternity. Let us certainly pray for healing from illnesses and and disabilities. Such blessing has certainly come to God's people uh, through through the course of history. But let us not miss the new life by the Spirit, which has been provided to us by the love of God, through Christ and by Christ through the pouring 
of the Holy Spirit. Here are the connections again. Christ was born that he might live. He lived perfectly that he might die perfectly. He, he died that he might rose again. He rose again that he might ascend into heaven. And he ascended to heaven that he might send the spirit. To give new birth to those who are dead in sin. And who need to be resurrected. Who need to be born again. Who need to be recreated unto salvation. What keeps us from understanding and accepting this? It's our own pride. Because we don't want that much to be done for us. Well, we only want assistance. We, we, we want a little help. But don't help me too much because then I have to admit that I'm helpless by myself. You can help me, but don't insult me by doing it for me. But what if we can't do any of it? What if we are dead in sin? What if we need to be resurrected unto faith and unto salvation by faith? That's the in-your-face teaching of God's word. Take it or leave it. Leave it because you're too proud to take it. But take it and rejoice because you need it. Without Christ, you were lost. You were even dead in your sin. But here's the good news. The good news of the Holy Spirit. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen. Let's pray together. Grant us, O God, by your Spirit, the humility to see that it is only by your Spirit that we are born again unto repentance and to faith. And then give us that joyful hope and hope unto peace that we are saved because what you have done, because of what Christ has accomplished and has applied to us through the coming of the Holy Spirit. Grant us this great assurance and joy as we come to a deeper understanding of what salvation is, how it has come to us, and what it means for us by your teaching and by your promises in the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.